Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, Episode 301, Mary Robinette Kowal. And now, constructed on a Zeppelin by an apprentice mage and delivered by a rocket ship to a benevolent dragon, Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. Welcome to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, your podcast for science fiction and fantasy media. This is Brent Bowen. Today we are joined by Hugo Award-winning author and professional puppeteer Mary Robinette Kowal. And this will be the first of a two-parter with Mary. We ended up deviating a little bit from the original topic because, I mean, we had Mary on the show, so... We'll make this actually a two-part episode, so episode 301 and episode 302 will be Christy and me with Mary, and in part one, if memory serves correctly, we will be talking about a Regency cruise that she arranged to the Caribbean as Christy and I were ooing and eyeing over pictures she had po- Mary had posted on Facebook and Instagram alike showcasing the cruise they were on it looked like it was quite fun and it's all parasols and no sunscreen from what we're told but we're also going to be talking with Mary at least in this first part about her efforts to create a conversation around fandom and the Hugo Awards if you follow Mary and her blog it was around mid-April a little bit before mid-April She started a Hugo Award Sasquan supporting membership drive. And so Christy and I asked her about the reasons why she created the drive, how successful it was, and whether she accomplished her goals in in that effort. So part one, we'll definitely discuss it. And in part two, we'll discuss not only her final installment of Noble Family, in her Glamorous Histories series. But we're also discussing a new beginning for Mary, where she has some exciting news. If you don't follow her on social media, and it would appeal to anybody's anybody that's a child at heart, she had some tremendous news around her puppetry that she announced on social media and we'll we'll talk to her about it as well. So we're very excited to have Mary on the show and she'll be our guest for episode 301 and 302. And speaking of membership drives and Mary just this week and I'll put a link in the show notes. Mary is trying to help out some friends, Bob and Nora, and it looks like Bob and Nora are, are a part of fandom and it looks as if the two of them survived a horrific car accident. And while it appears that insurance will certainly help them get through their medical concerns, it appears from her blog post, it appears they're going to be on disability. So she is trying to help them with uh, a campaign to help raise some funds to cover their costs while uh, they're not at work that disability won't cover. So Mary's uh, just a very giving individual, and and I'll include a link to it in the show notes. Some of you may know Bob and Nora and want to contribute. So I'll include a link to Mary's blog post in the show notes because that's certainly something that could happen to any one of us. Uh, horrific accident and 
And we hope they make a speedy recovery soon. A lot of news this week in publishing. I think one of the biggest news items in particular this week is the announcement by several news outlets from Tor Books regarding the significant book deal that science fiction author John Scalzi signed with Tor. If you look into the particulars of it, it looks as if it's $3.4 million for 13 books, if I'm correct, over a 10-year period. John, in a couple different places, has already conducted a few interviews to speak about why he committed to the deal. And it's actually something, there's a Washington Post article that I'll share in the show notes where I thought it was a particularly well-done interview with John about his reasons, and it was really an idea he had conceived and approached Tor about looking for ostensibly flexibility and pursuing different works and not being held to any sort of creative control on a work-by-work basis, as well as looking for financial stability and really a support network and someone to back his the whole backlog and his future log, if you will, of his creative endeavors. And I, I say that because there was a lot of comments on social media that I noticed and I think others noticed around, well, John could have commanded maybe a lot more money by self-publishing in his own works. And one of the things he talks about in this Washington Post article is his need for a support network, particularly in areas of editing. And while he does have, you know, his own marketing army, if you will, just through his blog, you know, Tor does provide a a lot in the way of distribution and other marketing considerations. So John speaks to a number of those topics in this interview. I'll, I'll include that. He also, a pretty enlightening interview with John on that Washington Post uh, piece around one of the things I respect about John. John's is uh, a former instructor of mine from Viable Paradise, and I've heard him speak on a number of different occasions personally, dating back even before my Viable Paradise experience at, at 2008 at ArmadilloCon, and I would had a chance to hear him speak to a workshop group there. And he referenced one of the things he really tries to do with each of his works, but also within his career is he talks about risk taking. And I think he he looks at this deal as a way for him to have a bit of a safety net to be able to take some risks within a particular work and not have to have it be a New York Times bestseller and still feel like, well, the next one I'll be able to write something that may be more more chart-worthy, if you will. He also talks in that Washington Post piece about taking risks from a distribution standpoint. And there's also some considerations in the contract or the deal around him exploring young adult fiction, which I would argue he has already with Zoe's Tale, but I think he's going to do that in even a more concerted way. But In a lot of ways, this deal ends up being a benchmark for a lot of other deals. And in this this Washington Post piece, John talks about this level of transparency and the deal kind of 
pulling back the curtain from the business side of things within publishing and creating a bit of a conversation there so others can use that as a benchmark. And while he didn't explicitly communicate and start talking about the deal because of it, it is a nice byproduct of what's transpired over the last week. Um, people are are able to dissect the deal and and really and really look at how publishing works and what considerations need to be made when when putting together a deal with the publisher, particularly a long term deal. I couldn't help though. I'll have to say this. I couldn't help though juxtapose this with some other conversations I was watching over the Memorial Day weekend, particularly by a, a relatively well-known figure in the science fiction and fantasy community, although he's well-known more for his websites than he is maybe his prose, is um, Jeremiah Tolbert, who runs the website design firm Clockpunk Studios, and he was talking about struggling as a writer. So you look at John's, you look at this historic deal on some level versus a lot of the comments I was seeing from Jeremiah. And I was just thinking about expectations that writers have as they get into this. And, you know, this notion also that about 6% of authors that you probably see in a bookstore that write fiction actually can make a living wage. So I think people need to look at this historic deal and also temper their expectations and if you do have the opportunity, you know, as I'm talking about Jeremiah and his and his business, you'll you'll definitely want to check out his work. He he runs again the firm Clockpunk Studios, and even recent guests that we've had on, such as David Wellington, when we were talking with David about his Fear Project, that Fear Project website was run by run by Jeremiah. So. If you have a chance to follow Jeremiah and, and check out some of those comments as well, um, particularly if you follow him on Facebook, I would encourage you to do do so because it'll help everyone kind of look at the full spectrum of, of conversation around expectation and, and book deals. The other thing notable that uh, occurred this week and, and sad news is the passing of Tanith Lee at the age of 67. Somewhat unexpected, though, I know she has uh, fought breast cancer. And what I recall of Tanith is that she was such a prolific writer and a writer of, if you're interested in the grotesque and the macabre, she's someone that, particularly if you like folktales, she's someone you would want to read. And it's really unfortunate. I know some of her work, you know, fell out of favor with publishers in the past. She continued to work and write more shorts short stories or short works and didn't publish as many longer works. But uh, again, really sad news that we lost a luminary in Tanith Lee. With that, I'm going to keep my comments pretty brief and allow you all to get into our conversation with Mary Robinette Kowal. Take care, everyone. Finally, there's a podcast for the darker side of fantasy, the Grim Tidings Podcast, your podcast for all things grimdark. Okay, so you might be asking, what is grimdark? Grimdark is a genre of fantasy fiction, notorious for anti-heroes, gritty storylines, gruesome violence, character-driven narratives, and morally ambiguous protagonists. From Game of Thrones to sword and sorcery and everything in between. If it's dark, if it's fantasy, and if it's brutal, 
We call it Grimdark. Listen and download new episodes every week on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter at Grimdark Fiction. The Grim Tidings Podcast, your podcast for all things Grimdark. So one of the goals you guys hear Brent and I talking about quite a bit on the show is this idea of promoting uh, and encouraging discussion and discourse. And it's a topic we're really passionate about. Instead of exploring our disagreements and the reasons behind our convictions, we often see discussions and debates devolving into a shouting match of who's right and who's wrong. And in a lot of ways, that's where we've seen the Hugo Awards go this year, especially since the nominations. Two sides shouting at each other from across the room rarely changes anyone's minds. So in line with discussing the current Hugo Award climate and the question of how to encourage a very divided community to engage and to talk to each other in a way that's responsible, respectful, and at the end of the day, constructive, we decided to invite a very special guest, Mary Robinette Cole. Yeah, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Mary, which... At this point, I, I don't understand how you could be if you're involved in, in genre and speculative fiction. But if you've been underneath a rock, we'll, we'll go ahead and give her a proper introduction. Right, Mary? We should, we should give you that proper introduction, don't you think? Well, that'd be very kind of you, but uh, I don't. Uh, <laughs> hi. Hi. Uh, um, Mary, who's been kind enough to join us, she's the critically acclaimed author of The Glamorous Histories. And if you're not familiar with those works, they're often described as Jane Austen with magic. And the fifth and final installment of Noble Families recently hit shelves. Mary is also a two-time Hugo winner and a mainstay in the speculative writing community, having served as a vice president in SFWA. And she currently co-hosts the popular Writing Excuses podcast. I also want to mention that Mary is a dynamite narrator. One of my favorite all-time short works is Clockwork Chickadee. That uh, she, oh yes, that you also narrated, and uh, absolutely love that short work. But when Mary's not writing, she's probably equally as well known as an accomplished puppeteer. So it's with this whole notion, as as Christy had mentioned about us talking about the Hugo debate, Mary's taken a very proactive initiative tied to the Hugo debate and discussion. And that's the primary reason, we'll get into some other fun stuff too, but the primary reason that we have invited her onto the show. Mary, welcome. Well, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. And before we get into the serious business though, Christy and I, we've been um, lurking on your Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> yeah, Facebook and, and Twitter account. And, you know, the Hugo controversy is enough to make anyone flee the country, I'm sure. But right. um, <laughs> we've been seeing some fantastic photos from a, a cruise ship of you and, you know, St. Kitts and, and Puerto Rico, making your way all the way all the way around the Caribbean in vintage dress. What, what, what's the deal with this? So there's a cruise called the Steampunk Cruise, um, although next year we are broadening it out to be time travel in general so, because people come with Renaissance and it's, it's not strictly Victorian. But it's, it's fantastic. It's a group of people. There's about 60 of us on this larger cruise, and we dress the entire time. So you get to go to these fabulous 
locations with people who are beautifully, beautifully dressed. And it's also nice from, you know, a research point of view of seeing what these climates are like when you're actually wearing the clothes that people were wearing back in the day. You know, it's like back in the day before air conditioning. Uh, may I just also recommend that anyone who is going to the tropics pack a parasol because walking shade is really nice. Did you allow yourself any sort of modern creature comforts sunscreen? Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, I don't bother with the sunscreen uh, because I really I do use a parasol the whole time. Okay. Uh, when I go into the water, uh, I'll, I'll use sunscreen. And then, obviously, the ship is climate-controlled. There were two days, St. Martin's and St. Kitts, I went out in modern dress because I walked outside. And I was like, and immediately the amount of sweat between myself and my corset was enough that I was like, right, uh, social experiment concluded, and we're going back inside for something to please. <laughs> was that a surprise with the with the period no. costumes? No? Okay, so you, you expected that. Oh, yeah. So I, I wound up changing some of the undergarments that I was wearing, which, which actually reflects the fashion changes that happen in different regions. I had read that people uh, in Southern climates tended to not, that, that women during this period often didn't wear corsets. And, and after going out, I was like, oh, well, that would be why, <laughs> because it's really hot. Uh, but otherwise, it's, you know, you basically, it's a, it's a light cotton dress. It's kind of like going out in a nightgown. How did you fare with the mosquitoes in St. Martin's? They're notoriously famous for their mosquitoes. Matter of fact, I was there, what, four years ago, and I came back looking diseased from the amount of really? mosquitoes. Oh, yes. Yes, they spray, they spray the whole island. They spray wow. it with, with wow. pesticides. They, yeah, they spray the entire island. And you, you'll go downtown into the market. We didn't take a cruise. We ended up renting a villa with, it was a big birthday celebration trip for several cool. friends. And we ended up uh, with those friends renting a villa and were there for about a week and went downtown into the markets. And uh, we're joking about midway through the trip because a lot of the t-shirt designs that were there in the market all featured mosquitoes. And, and, I, <laughs> and I, <laughs> yeah, I clearly knew why even a couple days into the trip. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't have any mosquito issues at all. Um, we were there during the day, so it might be that having missed morning and, and dusk, the crepuscular times, which is, or crepuscular, anyway, the, the dusk and dawn, which is when they are most frequently out, that, that's, mm -hmm. that I, I missed the worst of it. For anybody out there, uh, definitely go take a look at some of Mary's photos. Uh, they're pretty fantastic, um, not just for the costumes, but also the gorgeous scenery. Um, oh, yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, just some of the buildings are, are yeah. you know, fantastic. And the period costumes just make it that much, that much better. Yeah, it, it was really fun. Uh, one of the things, so I didn't do a costume in St. Martin's or St. Kitts, but I did in, in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. And the last two cruises, I've also gone in costume when we go ashore. And one of the things that I actually enjoy about it is uh, people, locals, will stop us and ask to take our pictures. Hmm. And, and it feels like it actually to a small degree, levels out the playing field. You know, it's like, here we are, coming to exploit your town uh, with our cruise ship. <laughs> um, 
don't mind us. Uh, we're just going to come in and take pictures of everything and uh, treat you, you know, we're going to be tourists and, and treat you like, like objects to amuse us and hopefully stimulate your local economy. But but when I go through, I am a, I'm a, I'm a spectacle uh, and, and so is everyone else. And it, so it feels like just a tiny bit that, that there's a little bit of equity there. I'm like, yes, please feel free to take my photo. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely not a problem for you to take my photo. Uh, not that it, it erases you know, the, the, uh, the historical inequities, but at least, at least in the current moment, it's like, yes, yes, I'm happy to be happy to provide you with some entertainment today. And yes, hand me the hand me the baby monkey to hold and, and allow me to stimulate your economy by by paying to have my picture taken with this really adorable baby monkey. <laughs> Getting online with the topic of the Hugo Awards. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Going mon- back to the your mo- the monkey was a nice transition there. I the monkey's a thank fantastic you, thank transition, you. yes. Beautiful. <laughs> paying for monkeys. It's paying, yeah, no. Um <laughs> Yeah, speaking of monkeys. Um, <laughs> uh, so your your blog post called uh, "Talk with Me About Being a Fan of Science Fiction and Fantasy," where you basically um, started uh, a very a very cool membership, uh, Hugo, um, uh, so sort of associated um, voting membership uh, giveaway. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about that and why it was so important to get directly involved in the Hugo Awards controversy. Because, again, going with the monkeys, it's a bit of a circus. Yeah. Um, you know, the, and it's funny, there's a, uh, there's a check saying, um, not my circus, not my monkey, uh, yep. for when something is not your problem. Um, but, you know, the Hugos are such an integral part of science fiction that it really is my circus. Uh, and these are my monkeys. Um, all, all, you know, we are all monkeys together in this circus. Like this is kind of slightly unflattering, but but a way to to, to look at this. It's um, I feel very strongly that this community has a lot to offer, and it bothers me to see some people who are constructing narratives that are designed to be divisive. I really object to the us-against-them narrative because I don't think it's that simple. I think that there is a small core of people who are who really are determined to take the Hugos down, uh, and that, that angers me. But a lot of the other people who are getting caught up in this, people who, who, are, who are sad puppy proponents, are people who have had negative things happen to them at conventions. And, you know, if if we want to look out for people who are marginalized, we, we need to make sure that we do not wind up marginalizing people, other people in the process. So most of the things that the leaders of the, the sad puppies, but specifically the rabid puppies, are saying are, are I think, complete bullshit. But the people who are being attracted to that bullshit are being attracted to it, not because they're attracted to bullshit, but because they have been hurt at some point. I have seen, like, like Intergalactic Medicine Show, Orson Scott Card. Let me use him as an example. Um, I was taught by Orson Scott Card, and I would not be the writer that I am today without him. Absolutely would not. Um, I find his political beliefs uh, really abhorrent. But when I made a decision to be in an anthology appreciating uh, Ender's Game, 
which was a very formative book for me. And as I said, Scott was a really formative teacher for me. I had people emailing me and telling me how disappointed they were and writing blog posts about how really disappointed they were that I was going to participate in this thing. So I don't want us to pretend that the sad puppies are completely wrong, that, that, this, that, that shunning because of political beliefs doesn't happen because of, and, and because of being associated with someone's, someone else's political beliefs, because it does happen. So that was one reason that I, I wanted us to start talking about the science fiction and fantasy itself. You know, the science fiction and fantasy can speak about politics, and it always has and it always will. But the individuals who are involved, I think it's very easy to stop thinking about them as people and to other them. And, mm-hmm. and, and I find that an unfortunate behavior. So I feel like it's important to actually engage and listen to people and find out, you know, what, what's going on. Come talk to me about science fiction and fantasy. And I, I, I think that what we will find is that we actually, you know, we, we are still fans. We are all still fans. It sounds to me as if um, one, one of the goals is um, this idea of keeping exclusivity out of the Hugo Awards in, in some ways. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and and one of the reasons that I did the membership drive in particular is because in the United States, you know, while everyone says, "Well, you only pay for you know, you only have to pay forty dollars to participate," there are a lot of people for whom forty dollars is not possible. You know, I I certainly know that in my life. There have been times where there's no way I could have afforded 40 bucks. It's the difference between eating and not for some people. And because of the way race intersects in the United States, a lot of the people that are marginalized already are also people who cannot have a voice in the Hugos, no matter how passionate and invested they are, simply because they can't afford it, even even the $40. So that's why I wanted to do the membership drive, was for people who could not have a voice, but were just as invested as everybody else, so that it was not it was not a class-based award. And and for for people who uh, are listening, what is uh, what are the rules about the membership giveaway that you're doing? They signed up. Uh, I had a, a form, and they signed up on the form, and um, and then I drew it randomly. And when I drew numbers, I used a random number generator. Uh, but when I was grabbing that, the names and addresses, so that I couldn't see them because I was worried about being unconsciously influenced, and even though I was using the random number generator. I'm, I'm asking people to read the stories before they vote, but I'm also telling them they don't have to, you know, the, the moment they hit, hit a point where they're like, this is not for me, they don't have to finish everything, but I'm asking them to start it. Um, and that's it. I, and I'm, I'm very deliberately not talking about any of the work that is is on the, the ballots this year, even though there's there are things, um, there's one category where I've, uh, I've already read most of the, the work, and so there's only a couple of things that, I, that are in there, and, you know, and I, I know right now that I have a favorite, which was not the favorite that I thought going in that I was going to have, but I'm, I'm not going to talk about what that favorite is, because I don't want any of the people who got memberships from me to feel like they need to follow yeah I, I don't want to influence them even unconsciously and and you as well removed yourself from uh being nominated for a hugo next year correct yes uh the the way the the memberships work with the hugo awards when you 
buy a membership. Um, it gives you voting rights, voting and nominating rights for the current year and nominating rights for the next year, which means that um, I potentially would have had a pool of 100 people who would have felt beholden to me. Um, when it was when I initially came up with the idea and it was 10 people, 10 people isn't really enough to kick you over. And I wasn't worried about that, but a hundred mm-hmm. people, I'm like, no, I bet even if someone else was handling all of the money, even if I never touched the database, even with all of that, just promoting it on my website and being the one who is organizing it, like there's, there's ethical issues here. There was a, and, and this is not the first time that I've recused myself. I was actually, I turned down a Nebula nomination because I uh, was while I was the vice president and and it was a tie uh, that, that the nomination there was, you know, I was honored with a tie and I felt like at least one of those votes had to be related to me being a vice president. Mm. And so it's like, you know, that seems unethical at that point. So I, I withdrew myself from that. The rockets are shiny and all, but that's... Um, <laughs> that's you know, I, I mean, I have to. <laughs> it's okay to share. I, yeah, I actually, I, I actually have three, uh, one for writing excuses, but I uh, I gave it to my dad for his birthday. Actually, I gave him my very first Hugo. I gave him my very first Hugo for his birthday um, as the Hugo for best dad. That's an excellent gift yeah. to give. You mentioned the number, ultimately, the, the number of memberships and those weren't all contributed by you, correct? I mean, there was, I think there was a community that came back and rallied around that. How'd the membership pool get constructed? Sure. So I was, I was going to do 10 memberships, which was about $400. I can teach another workshop or something to make up this, this cash. Shortly after I did that, actually, one of the people on the Sad Puppies contacted me and said that they wanted to donate 10 memberships as well, but felt like they couldn't because they were a nominee and it needed to be anonymous. So I said, well, yeah, okay, I can, I can do that. So I was like, now I have 20. And uh, I actually had two, two of the Sad Puppy nominees came and, and wanted to nominate. Oh, no, maybe actually it was more than that. Anyway, but I had, I had a couple of people who were nominees who wanted to donate but didn't want to influence voting. Um, I had other people who were afraid that they would get sucked into the controversy but also wanted to, to widen the number of people who, who could participate. The way I would respond when someone said, I would like to donate money, is that I would say, if, if you are comfortable doing it yourself, not being anonymous, um, it's better, I think for you to make that offer on your own website because that's going to expand the reach of people that are are getting the message about these memberships. Uh, There's a self-selecting pool with my website, and I I deliberately went a couple of places and posted notices about it to make it a little less self-selecting. So I I posted some on on Reddit, and then uh, a Redditor actually jumped in and said, I'm going to give away some memberships too, which was great, um, which is, was kind of what I was hoping would happen. My feeling in general, as I said, you know, the, I, I feel like a lot of the people who self-identify as sad puppies, not the leadership necessarily, which I, I have some, we have some philosophical issues there. Um, <laughs> but, but a lot of the people who are, who are readers, who identif- self-identify with that group, I don't think that it's appropriate to tell anyone that, that their fiction isn't good, mm-hmm. you know, and that they aren't allowed to enjoy it. So, 
so as long as someone is coming in and voting and, and reading and voting about for what they're enthusiastic about, you know, more power to you. Uh, the rabid puppies have stated that what they're planning to do is to destroy science fiction, to, to destroy Hugo, the Hugos, and that is not acceptable. So one of the things that I, I say in this post is, you know, hey, rabid, uh, you know, sad puppies, because they were also freaking out about it a little bit too mm-hmm. when, when, when that first, we're going to nuke the Hugos thing came up. I'm like, there, there are more of us. And the thing about any voting system is that if you have very few people participating, it becomes easy to game. The more people you have, the harder it is to game. And people are talking about all of these different rules changes, but really, some of them, yes, can make the Hugos more robust. But for the most part, the thing that's going to really make it more robust is to just get more people participating. And and honestly, I don't care what kind of fiction people like or what their politics are, as long as they're actually reading and voting for, you know, for the work that they're excited about. Now, when I say I don't care what kind of fiction they, they like or what their politics are, I mean in terms of the Hugos. In terms of who I want to hang out with, yeah, okay. <laughs> but, you know, even there, like I have, you know, even there, my, my friends, my, my real line on is, is whether or not they cause harm. There are people who... We have very different political beliefs, but they are not causing anyone harm. We understand that entirely. We can't yeah. even agree. We can't even all agree on this show. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one one thing you uh, you you sort of touched on is uh, this idea of um, sort of the no award or or nuking option that um, mm-hmm. a lot of people. It's not just it's not just the rad pup, rab, uh, rabbit puppies who have who have brought it up, but quite a few people are talking about it. Do Do you have any opinions on on the uh, on the no award option? Yeah, um, so, and I'm going to talk about this in in general terms. As I said, I'm Mm. trying to be very careful about not saying anything that that people can take as a a, a directive on how to vote. Mm -hmm. Um, But in general, the reason the no award exists is so that when there is something on the ballot that you look at and you go, I would be actively embarrassed if this won. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, this is offensive, and I would be actively embarrassed if this one, that if you deploy the no award. I have used it before, you know, when, when I read something, and, and I will be honest, I, I actually ranked no award above a friend's work once, uh, someone that I'm very close to, and it was not their best effort, and I was like, this would be embarrassing. So most of the time, I just leave it off. I just don't vote for the work. Uh, but every now and then I will deploy that no award. So I think one of the things with this one, when, when people are looking at the no award option with this set of Hugos, I think that one of the things that people are looking at is not just, and this is again the politics, it, it, this is, and it's unfortunate to me that, that this, or I find it unfortunate that this is, um, this is a consideration, but because the politics have been brought in, the politics of the writer, the politics, the, the idea of talking, this is, you know, this is what I think the field should be doing or what have you. Uh, but because the politics have been brought in very, very blatantly, there are messages that will be sent based on who and what wins uh, that have nothing to do with the work itself. 
And as I said, I, I find that unfortunate, but, but it is a reality. And so I understand why people, when looking at that larger narrative, will look at it and say, within that larger narrative, uh, and looking at the messages that will be sent, uh, the message that I want to send is 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 best accomplished through the use of the the use of no award because they they are so firmly opposed to whatever it is winning uh, that they would rather see no award given at all, and and that's you know again that's why that option exists as you know in in the voting. Uh, so I I think it's. I feel like if if someone genuinely believes in their heart that that's where it would be better to not give an award at all than to give an award to any of the works because of a larger narrative, that th- that is appropriate. And I have talked about this on on the website on my website. I feel like this is not new information, and hopefully won't seem as swaying too much. There are there are some works that I I know that I'm going to put no award above because I, I know that I, I would find them embarrassing as a representation of, of, of the best science fiction and fantasy has to offer. It would just, I just laugh. Um, but everything else I'm planning on just reading, regardless of who wrote it or how it lands up on the slot. I think Edmund Schubert, who's the editor for Intergalactic Medicine Show, said something really, and I'm going to wind up paraphrasing it, that when he withdrew from the Hugos, from the, the from the ballot, he said something to the effect of that he felt like there were certain people on the ballot who had who had chosen to put themselves there, but that many people who were on the Sad Puppies slate had not chosen to be there, and that it was inappropriate to punish them by using them as a political ping-pong ball. And I, I, I think that that's, again, this this thing that we, we tend to do is that we forget that there are people behind these all of this, you know, that there are individuals and that we... You know, we 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 other them. It's like, oh, it's a it's somebody. It's it's a sad puppy slate person, and we don't even think person. It's a you know, and and it it should just be about the work. There's still a person behind it, so it's I don't know. It just it feels it feels kind of to me, it feels kind of icky to just write people off. Well, and you, I think um, you, I think you see that reflected, Mary, not only in the views of the the voting process but wouldn't wouldn't you also agree i mean that's been one of the tenets of the conversation around the individuals that have been removing themselves as either yeah. a no, uh, either a nominee or even you know you you look to connie willis and even from a presentation yeah. even from yeah. a presenter standpoint yeah i was talking with a friend i'm like you know at a certain point in this you what you're looking at is the 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 fact that you you're someone is going to be using you, and you have to make your choices about what is acceptable for you in terms of who is using you and, and what they're doing with you. Um, <laughs> you know, and 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 that sucks, but it's still there are choices that one can still make in that. And is that ultimately what you find? kind of the most unfortunate thing about this because there there's so much that is probably unfortunate unfortunate is you have the the other dumb but you know we christy and i we opened with this conversation talking about people devolving into shouting matches but it, it even went beyond beyond that what do you what do you think has been the most unfortunate thing about 
I mean, I think we're hitting the anniversary of the nominations even today. During this conversation, we've seen a lot transpire in the last month. Oh, yes. Yeah, what, what to use the most yeah. unfortunate thing about this? The fact that it has turned into an us versus them narrative, and it's creating a schism within the community. I, I think that that is, that is so antithetical to what science fiction and fantasy has been about for such a long time. We have, all of us, gone to science fiction and fantasy because there's some, you know, because we, we felt like an outsider at some point and we've been teased and belittled for our beliefs and, 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 and the things that we love. And to see, to see someone deliberately drive a stake into science fiction and fantasy and try to, and this wedge and create and craft a narrative about conspiracies and things like that just to deliberately alienate people. I just, I find that so damaging. There have been so many people who have been, and I'm just like, there's so many feels, so many feels about this. Um, But there have been so many people who have been genuinely hurt and have not gotten a fraction of the attention that this has gotten. And, and you know, as, as much as I've been saying, you know, I, I feel like there, there is some core of hurt within the sad puppy community. The, the fact that, that we're spending all of this effort on that when for decades uh, women have not felt safe going to science fiction and fantasy con- conventions and mm-hmm. people of color mm-hmm. have not felt and, have, and it has gotten almost no attention until very recently. And, and the fact that we have, you know, that, that what we've got, that, that, the, that at a point when we are, are working so hard to be inclusive and to bring more people into science fiction and fantasy and open it up to a bigger community and, and be more welcoming and, and to have someone come in and say that they feel, ugh, you know, to, to have someone come in and turn it into an us versus them because they don't want the new people coming in, it's just, I just, I, I, I froth with anger. It, that, but it's, that, it's that, that deliberately, deliberate choice to, to create division within the community that, that I feel like is so damaging and, and something that we're, we're going to carry the legacy of this for, for a, a long time. And it, it, it's something that we see historically, too. This this kind of pushback, this this pushback is uh, it, it's also so not surprising. We we've seen exactly this sort of pushback after the civil rights movement and women's lib. There's there's a pushback every yeah. single time. Yeah, an active lobbying, an active lobbying about that. Well, and hopefully, hopefully, good can come out of the conversation, provided we don't continue to express death threats to one another. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> You know, those don't, those really don't help. I mean, they really, really don't help. No, they don't it help. I, I will say one thing, though, which is that one of the, the things that I've seen the social pop, the, the, the social puppies, that the, uh, the sad. <laughs> <laughs> we, may, we may have a new breed that comes out of this. Right, the social puppies. <laughs> um, one, one thing that I've seen the, the sad puppies say specifically to me, and I, I, I need to write something about this, but uh, after, after the two blog posts that you've mentioned, I've had a number of people say, oh, thank heavens, uh, someone who's reasonable. And people say to me, oh, well, you're not really a social justice warrior because you're reasonable, you're classy, you're, you know, you're not. And I'm... <laughs> 
and and what I want to say is just because I don't raise my voice, just because I'm being polite doesn't mean that I'm not angry. And that reason that I have space to be polite and to be reasonable with the scare quotes around it is because other people have done the work of clearing the ground by yelling and making it apparent that that the anger is there and that if you don't have people who are willing to shout, there are people who won't listen and that most people won't believe that the anger is there. And so it's it's all fine and good to say that, you know, we, we can we should be able to have a conversation without shouting. But when people have been saying something for years and years and years and not being heard, you have to raise your voice sometimes. You have to shout in order to be heard, you know. So I'm I'm only able to be polite and, and classy and reasonable because someone else has taken the burden on of being the one who shouts. Visit Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing for show notes, links, reviews, special guests, videos, and more. Email us at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com. Sound effects from the Free Sounds Project. Music by Asymmetry, found at musically.com. No authors were seriously damaged in the making of this podcast. <laughs>